This week when he delivered his second State of the State address to a joint session of the General Assembly and a statewide television audience, Governor Mike Pence had a half hour to cover a wide range of topics, everything from adoption, job creation, and the state's tax code to school choice, the Affordable Care Act, and Indiana's proposed marriage amendment. He even squeezed in a few comments about our recent bout with Mother Nature. Well, we're going to try to cover most, if not all, of those same topics, minus the weather, and we have even less time to do it than he did. So let's get right to it. Thank you, Governor, for uh, joining us. I know it's been a busy week. You bet, John. Good to see you again. You had to compete with IU Wisconsin. Couldn't you issue some executive order to uh, both starting at 7 o'clock? There's... Yeah, I, I didn't know what I was more nervous about, uh, preempting um, Wheel of Fortune or the IU Wisconsin game. <laughs> uh, I got the score real quickly after I stepped off the podium. You'll hear from constituents in both cases, right? <laughs> That's right. How did your uh, preparation for this year's State of the State Address and for the assembly of your legislative agenda in general differ this year, now that you have a year under your belt in office, compared with last year when you took the oath of office and boom, you were basically down the hall delivering the speech. Well, it's a great question because uh, it, it couldn't have been a more different process. Um, uh, last year I was eight days after I'd given my inaugural address. And, and the themes of last year's State of the State address were uh, really just expressing uh, the vision that we'd articulated in our candidacy around the state of Indiana and where we wanted to take the state. Th this year I really approached uh, as an opportunity to report to the people of Indiana uh, about the progress that we've made uh, in the last year together and, uh, and to really lay down uh, a, a, a new agenda for 2014 and beyond that would build on the momentum that we created. Uh, I, I literally, before I came over to shoot the show this morning, um, I, I actually took all of the previous drafts of this off my desk back at the governor's residence and, and threw them away. And there were just eight different versions just on that pile alone. So we really worked through this. And as you know... Um, I think what you could have gotten on eBay, if you're trying to sell the state <laughs> plane, you probably could have sold those and gotten a few bucks. Well, it, it, and, and, we took, uh, and we took a very unique approach to this, which was uh, this state of the state address It was intended to be uh, greatly informed by a series of speeches that we gave in December uh, around the state of Indiana, first at a legislative conference here in Indianapolis, and then from the old state capitol in Corridon to the Boys and Girls Club in Fort Wayne, we tried to break out our vision for jobs, for schools, for uh, strengthening the foundation under families. And so um, uh, I'm, I'm very uh, in, encouraged at the response that we've gotten from members of the General Assembly on a broad range of our proposals. and. But it was a fundamentally different uh, opportunity, and uh, I, I hope we uh, I, I hope we met uh, that challenge with the, the kind of substance and the kind of uh, report that Hoosiers were looking for. Now, one thing that wasn't part of the roadmap that you had unveiled in these series of visits around the state was um, so your suggestions about how to handle what used to be HJR six, now renamed HJR three. Whatever the number, it's the same-sex marriage amendment uh, to the Indiana Constitution proposed. You saw fit to include a, an endorsement, if you will, of that measure uh, during your speech and your suggestion that it needs to happen now. Why did you uh, feel compelled to, to address that topic in the speech? Well, this, this was a speech that was really, again, it was about reporting on the progress we've made uh, in jobs and schools, which, as I said, Tuesday night has been very significant and should be an encouragement to every Hoosier. 
and it was an opportunity to really lay out uh, a positive agenda uh, that our administration is advancing with a more than two dozen bills in this session of the General Assembly. But I also wanted to speak to a number of issues that are active, um, be that uh, uh, the implications of the Affordable Care Act, the debate uh, over Medicaid. Uh, but I, I thought it was important uh, for me to recognize uh, that the General Assembly is considering um, the question of whether Indiana should join uh, 30 other states uh, and enshrine a definition of marriage in our state constitution. I wanted, I wanted to say two things, really, John. I wanted to say, uh, first, what I believe, and I think most legislators certainly and many Hoosiers know, I, I believe in traditional marriage, and I've, I've long held the view uh, that, that the people, not unelected judges, should make decisions like this that are of such great consequence to society. But I also thought it was important um, uh, to um, encourage members of the General Assembly and advocates on both sides to have a debate really worthy of our people and um, uh, to, to demonstrate the kind of civility and respect that Hoosiers uh, expect uh, and to ensure that, that nothing, nothing in this measure will intrude on the freedom of employers in our state. Although there was, you talk about debate, there was nearly four hours of debate before the House Judiciary right. Committee on Monday and the House Chambers. Ultimately, no vote uh, was taken at that meeting. But once again, and this is not news to anybody following this issue, we had a number of local chambers of commerce, not the state local, uh, chamber of commerce, but local chambers, Eli Lilly and Company, Cummins Engine in your hometown of, of Columbus, saying this is bad for business. This hurts our recruitment efforts, and they're citing specific examples. You're the... You're the governor who, who just today portrayed yourself again, positioned yourself as the job creation, the economic development governor. How do you reconcile those two things? Well, it, as I said at the top of my speech when a year ago, I said we'd make job creation job one, and we have. Um, through the policies that we've advanced, through balanced budgets, uh, uh, through paying down debt, through the, the tax reductions that we passed, the largest state tax cut in Indiana history and school reform, uh, the, the numbers, I, lo I, I love to repeat it, 47,500-plus new jobs in Indiana last year, unemployment at a five-year low in Indiana. So we've done that, and I appreciate you, you recognizing that as a priority for our administration. But on this question, I, I really I think it's important uh, that, that uh, members of the General Assembly uh, resolve this issue this year, that, that uh, they listen to all of the voices. Uh, in the state of Indiana, on every side of this debate, with equal respect, and and uh, and move this these, uh, move this issue. If these large employers and Freedom Indiana, the coalition, the umbrella group, could convince you, persuade you, that it does hurt recruitment and and would cost uh, some of the best and brightest uh, from or keep them from coming to Indiana, and you could be persuaded of that, would that alter your position on this? If you if somebody could convince you that that really is an economic development issue, or are you pretty much set regardless? You know, John, I think it's important that, 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 that everyone have an opportunity, members of the General Assembly and ultimately the public, to express themselves on this. And, and a Tuesday night, I just wanted to say with deep respect uh, for the viewpoints of every Hoosier that, uh, that I believe in traditional marriage, and I, and I believe the people, not, not unelected judges, should ultimately decide questions of this magnitude. And I do want to get off this topic because I said at the outset we've got a lot to cover. New numbers out from a poll commissioned by... House and Senate Republicans, which showed that, if I'm understanding the, the numbers correctly, Hoosiers are supportive of, 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 a, of a ban on same-sex marriage. However, 
when you ask the follow-up question about the second sentence in the amendment, which some legal folks say, despite this letter of intent that the legislature has put forth, would erode the ability of employers to offer same-sex partner benefits and all those things. When you ask that question, then a majority of Hoosiers are opposed. And you can't separate the two, as I understand it, without the clock starting over on the amendment. Is it your contention, though, that these polls are wrong and that a majority of Hoosiers are supportive of the amendment? I wouldn't comment on polls. I wanted people to know where my heart's at. But also, as I said Tuesday night, I think it's important that the General Assembly act in such a way that we protect the freedom of employers in Indiana to be able to hire and to offer benefits to their employees under the terms and conditions of their choosing. But, you know, the most important thing about this debate is that we have a debate worthy of our people. That's why I said the other night that no one, no one in this state deserves to be disparaged or maligned because of who they are or what they believe. I think that's the kind of debate that Hoosiers expect, and I'm confident it's the kind of debate that we'll have. And then last question on this topic. If it does pass the House and Senate, gets on the ballot in November, how active will you be in advocating for it in the referendum when the question is put to voters? Will you be out front on this issue? Well, John, let me just say we'll let the legislature deal with the issue today, and we'll make any decisions of that nature. But I honestly think most members of the General Assembly, and I hope most Hoosiers know where my heart is on this. All right. Economic development. The other parts of economic development, the thrust of your legislative agenda, of course, is the elimination or the phase-out. We've seen different terms to describe it of the business tax on equipment, machinery. It's the business personal property tax. You want to see that. Initially, you want to see it go bye-bye pretty quickly, pointing that our neighbors have either done so or are doing so. Now, when there was some resistance from local officials saying, hey, we can't give up a billion dollars for school and local government, you seem to have softened. Now you have embraced the House Republican plan, which, if I'm not mistaken, that's Chris Atkins, your OMB director, testified this week, which would make it optional for counties to impose the tax and only on new purchases. Why the change of heart, and is this still going to accomplish what you set out to accomplish back when you went around the state in November and December? Well, I'll adjust a little bit on that narrative because I think if you look at the speech that I gave here in Indianapolis at an entrepreneurial center in which we first unveiled my call that Indiana would find a way to phase out the business personal property tax, we actually talked about a broad range of ways to do that. In pointing to the state of Michigan, which recently voted to phase out their business personal property tax, I noted the fact... By 2024, right? You've got a little time to... Yeah, that's right. A little flexibility, so... That's right. But, you know, at the end of the day, the larger question here is how can we make Indiana more attractive for the kind of investment that will create jobs of today and tomorrow? And I think in a state that really, by a number of ways you measure it, we are the leading manufacturing state in the country. Manufacturing is growing in Indiana, again, strongly. We're now beginning to connect our secondary education more effectively in Indiana to give young people who want to start careers in industry after high school before they go on to further education to get the background and training to get the jobs that are available. There's a lot of excitement. A lot of people are talking about Indiana. But what I challenged our team to do last summer was to say, 
what, what's the next logical reform in Indiana? And again and again and again, uh, we came to the conclusion that, that having a tax uh, in a state that is leading in manufacturing, having a tax that, that taxes um, uh, technology and equipment just doesn't make sense. And so what I challenged the legislature to do in December, and I renewed that challenge last night, uh, was uh, to say let's let, let's find a way to responsibly phase out the business personal property tax. Uh, we're we're supportive of the measure that's been offered in the House. We'll also express support for the tax reform measure that's been offered in the Indiana State Senate that includes uh, not only corporate tax reform but also a reform of the business personal property. It would tax. effectively exempt small businesses. Uh, yeah, uh, I think, and I uh, you know what I, I maybe you know you and I known each other a long time. Uh, and, and you know, we both I've had uh, dark hair, as I recall. Uh, you time, still got some. Uh, <laughs> I, I, look, I, I was a working lawmaker uh, for 12 years, and, and um, one of the one of the things that I brought into this job a year ago was a high regard for lawmakers and their capabilities. I think we've got the best state legislature in America. I think the men and women on both sides uh, of the aisle at the General Assembly are immensely talented. My job, as I see it, as governor was to lay out a vision for how we can make Indiana more competitive, make Indiana more attractive for the kind of investment that will create jobs. I believe phasing out the business personal property tax is the way to do that. But I put up two guardrails in that State of the State address. Number one, we've got to do it in a way that protects the ability of local communities to meet their needs and obligations for their citizens. Uh, and and uh, ultimately, uh, uh, number two, we, we've got to... Uh, 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 we, we, we've got to... Uh, uh, ensure that uh, um, that this is done in a way that will promote growth. And, and you're term. confident that either the House plan, which your Office of Manage, Management and Budget Director has on your behalf endorsed, the House plan, yeah. or the Senate plan, you're confident either of those would accomplish your goal of, of making the state more attractive to, to business. I mean, does that go far enough? I think? Think, I think um, uh, the the legislation that's been introduced... Um, in the House and in the Senate uh, represent um, a very good uh, starting point for discussion on how we set Indiana on a pathway uh, to phase out the business personal property tax. But I, but I want people to know we're not, we're not going to do it in a way that, that negatively impacts uh, local governments, and we're certainly not going to shift uh, the burden of a business tax uh, onto the backs uh, of individual taxpayers. Of course, another key to anybody would say, regardless of party affiliation, that another key to job creation and economic development is an educated workforce. Right. You spent a lot of your address talking about education reform measures, school choice, uh, uh, pre-kindergarten, um, didn't have uh, a lot of enthusiasm for the so-called common core standards uh, that, apply, that uh, many states have embraced, and in fact, Indiana at least initially had embraced. You got a lot in the in the education uh, uh, soup pot there. What what do you really want to see come out of this session? If you had to identify a couple things, uh? I've, I've said for a long time, and I really mean it in, in a in a substantive way that there's nothing that ails education in Indiana that can't be fixed if we give parents more choices and teachers more freedom to teach. And and I have equal enthusiasm for both of those things. Uh, we, we talked about expanding choices for parents, uh, beginning with uh, a voluntary uh, pre-K voucher for disadvantaged families. This would be about 40,000 individuals. It as could as affect part of a pilot by some program. of our estimates. It, it could ultimately uh, reach some 40,000 uh, children in Indiana who currently don't have 
an opportunity for access to quality pre-K education. Uh, I'm, I've taken time over the last year to learn about quality pre-K programs uh, uh, like, like, uh, uh, like we have all across the state of Indiana. And I think it's an idea whose time has come. But that's about giving disadvantaged families more choices in education. I think expanding and strengthening the foundation under our, our charter schools, as I discussed in the State of the State Address, so we can allow charter schools to have um, the ability to budget in a way that traditional public schools do. Charter schools are public schools. They're innovative public schools. Uh, Indiana's been a national leader in charter school uh, innovation, and I, I want to promote that. But on the teacher side, I, I, you know, I've been married to a school teacher for 28 years, and uh, my father-in-law was actually Indiana State Teacher of the Year in 1986. I mean, we really, on my wife's side, come from a family of educators, and I. Uh, some and that's our, the first year we met, incidentally. So yeah, you, okay. Yeah, you remember that from the first time we knew each other. That that I mean, to know the first lady is really to know someone who, uh, anywhere you see her doing any official function, she would rather be with kids, and she'd rather be in a classroom any day of the week, um, because that's her calling in her life. And I just wanted to say we, we ought to be lifting up teachers as leaders in education, innovation, and reform. That's the idea behind this Teacher Innovation Fund. Uh, and, and ultimately, it's the idea behind all the proposals that we're seeking to advance, including the idea that, that I'd like to make it possible for men and women who find themselves teaching in one school system, who've earned a good income in that system, who, but who nevertheless might be interested in going to an underperforming school or a public charter school that serves a majority of disadvantaged kids and giving them some salary protection for the salary and benefits that they've earned in their career if they're willing to go, to go into and to those. teach in, into that environment. I don't, I don't ever want, uh, I don't ever want a, a person's family finances to be a barrier to where they might feel called to make a bigger difference in the lives of our kids. And as far as Common Core, I mean, this is a lot of people, uh, well, some people say, oh, we don't want federal intrusion. Well, as you well know, there really is no federal element in the, in the governmental sense to Common Core. It was developed, as I understand it, by governors, including your predecessor, Republican Mitch Daniels, uh, maybe with cooperation from George W. Bush and others uh, who I, last time I checked, voted Republican. You, why... Why is it not good for Indiana uh, when your predecessor thought it was? Well, let me respond uh, to the larger question. Um, Do it fast, though, because we're almost out of time, Well, I, look, I, I think education is a state and local function. I, I, in my first year in Congress, I opposed no child left behind, even though the president of my own party made it his number one priority. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, it, and it's born of that belief that those functions in our communities that are most important, and that's public safety and education, um, uh, ought to be closest to the people. And so, but you would advocate state standards. You said they'd be higher, and they'd oh, be. Oh yes, I, I want We're we're going Indiana through a specific. process in the state board of education with guidance from the general assembly. We're going through a very thoughtful process to look at Indiana standards, and I. I just wanted people to know that at the end of the day, uh, the standards in our state are going to be set by Hoosiers, for Hoosiers, and they're going to be uncommonly high. Unfortunately, we didn't get through all the topics that you did in your 25-30-minute uh, address, uh, so we'll have to leave it there. One question, though, have you ever thought about creating a traffic jam intentionally on any, on any roadways or bridges? Uh, in No? John, you're terrible. <laughs> I was thinking this might be a springboard to my obligatory question about whether you still harbor any interest in running for president in the next <laughs> presidential contest. See the segue from 
Chris Christie, you're not buying it. Uh, <laughs> I guess you're not interested in the White House if Chris Christie wants it or others. Uh, I haven't spent one second thinking about any job other than the job I got hired to do a year Is ago. Is he writing all those drafts of those speeches you were telling us about <laughs> that you just read? Thank you, John. Thank you very much for being here. I do appreciate it. Okay. I know it's been a busy week, and uh, your insights are valued. Again, my guest has been Governor Mike Pence, a first-term Republican.